Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. And Ryan and I wanted to start off this week's podcast um, not exactly talking about baseball, but uh, last Wednesday, Matt Lodi, who has been a staple in Cleveland media across each of the last four decades after starting to cover the Indians beat in the 90s, died of cancer at age 46. And um, both Ryan and I have known Matt. I used to work for Matt. Ryan um, knows him, obviously, from covering Cleveland baseball. And uh, I know we each got that news last week after we recorded our podcast, and he passed the day that we did record last week. So um, I think we each wanted to kind of say something about him because I know he meant a lot to each of us. Yeah, um, you know, Matt really epitomized, um, you know, what it means to be a fighter. I think we all saw that he battled cancer for about two and a half years. And the way that he and his wife and his family um, just battled everything that he had to fight, um, it, it really was nothing short of inspiring. They were dealt bad news over and over and over and just all these different times where Matt went in for a key checkup or something happened and, and, and they had to go check something out. It just, it so rarely was good news and it, and Matt's spirit never broke. And, you know, that's one of the things that was a real, um, you know, focus of, of, of what we talked about. Of, uh, of what, you know, uh, a lot of his family and friends talked about was just that he, you know, he was just so strong and, um, a lot of people were just so lucky to, to, to get to know him because he was someone who like genuinely like brightened a room and, and it was, it was never about him. You know, he's dealing with all these horrible things. He's feeling so, so terrible. He's, he's having to fight and, and, and battle so much and you ask him, how he's doing and, and he always answered quickly and then a- asked how you were doing or, or or asked how your family's doing and it was just never about him and he's just one of those people that was just you were genuinely lucky to get to know um and he was just an absolute inspiration o- over the last two and a half years and uh you know, his, his his funeral was it was a really nice service and um the the family asked people um, if they wanted to wear some representation of you know team sports and and, and things like that because Matt was you know just such a sports fan on top of being a, a reporter and I just thought that was a nice touch and um, we we're just all really you know kind of heartbroken and, and devastated to to learn that he had passed um, but we we're all lucky to, to get to know him you know he was someone who they had a a celebration of life that was supposed to last for two hours and the receiving line went like 30 minutes over because there were so many people who, who just wanted to make sure that they were there. So I know that he, he made a real positive impact on, on a lot of people, you know, that's, and that's just important to, to note. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't know each other if it wasn't for Matt. Um, going to try to get through this without getting too choked up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I worked for Matt for, two years before I got my job out in Toledo and he probably put too much trust in me early on, um, which I appreciate for him for. Um, he 
was so excited for me when I got my newspaper job out in Toledo, my first newspaper job, and uh, stayed in touch with him even after that. He got diagnosed when I was out there. Um, and I mean, even at the time when he got diagnosed, it felt like a gut punch to me, but it never seemed like it felt like that to him necessarily. You know, like obviously, and we're saying a lot of the same things that other people have already said and maybe said more eloquently and uh, in my case, without tears publicly, which is fun. Um, But I think that speaks to Matt, right? Like he was who he was and he meant a lot to so many of us and introduced so many of us to each other. And I think that's a big part of it too. And he was always, he was one of the funniest people I know. And, um, you know, last week I, I had messaged, we were talking off mic about this. Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi did a great podcast all about Matt last week after he passed. And um, I was talking to TJ about the one funny story they told. And, you know, he made a comment about, like, he wished he could remember every funny thing and talk about it. And I'm like, there's way too many funny things to remember with Matt. And uh, I think in all of our cases, some funny things that can't be repeated publicly <laughs> at this point. But um, he was, I mean, he just, he knew how to talk to everybody and he just really, I think, cared about everybody and getting to know people and, um, you know, loved what he did so much. And I think for so many of us that has informed a lot of what we do for the people who knew him, um, and just how dedicated he was, even, even though he was sick for, for these last couple of years, um, he just, he loved it and was just, uh, you know, like I said on Twitter, I'm like, oh, I'll miss my friend more than anything. Yeah, and he um, and he kept working. Yeah. You know, from his room while while battling all, all, just all of these terrible things. Um, he, he was just he, he was amazing. He yeah. Was just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it truly, I can't say, <laughs> I feel like no matter what I say, it's not enough because he, he did really mean so much to me. And, you know, like you mentioned it, like every time I talked to him, like these last, this last year, really, and would ask how he was doing, um, he would always ask me how, how my job was going since I started this job last December. Um, and, it's like he just, you know, he would briefly, like you said, he would briefly like talk about what was happening with him. And it was rarely good news anytime these last two years, but uh, he would always turn it back to you, like regardless. Um, so, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a tough one. And if for some of you who like maybe didn't know Matt and have seen this all over the place last week, like that's really why I mean he just meant so much to so many of us who work in Cleveland media and um, obviously story went like further than that with one of the things that um, has gotten brought up again more recently is the video message that The Rock sent to him because he was a huge pro wrestling fan and um, I mean talk about a cool cool moment back then when it happened in the I want to say like spring or when it when The Rock sent that to him Um and that was, I mean, that, that's like the most excited I think I had seen Matt in a while when I messaged him about that. And uh, he sent it to me and I was like, that, that is crazy, man. That's like the pinnacle. That's like, everyone knows who The Rock is. Uh, 
that was a very cool moment. And, and, you know, the rock, um, he followed up on it even. Yeah. Um, that was just really cool. I mean, it's something that, uh, meant a lot to Matt and it, it and it, it, it meant a lot to the people around him too. That was yeah. a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, there's no easy way to transition out of this, but I know, you know, and uh, TJ and Zach said a similar thing on their podcast that if, you know, Matt is probably like, can't you guys be talking about what they're going to do in the off season now and, and things like that. So, uh, Matt, this is, this transition is specifically for you here. Um, we'll get into the news now, uh, but. Uh, just wanted to pay tribute here a little bit, but uh, news-wise now, Terry Francona indicated on Wednesday that as long as an upcoming checkup goes well, he could have the time he needs to regain his strength and return for the 2022 season. Uh, he had stepped, if you need a refresher, he stepped aside for the remainder of the 2021 season on July 29th to undergo two health procedures, a hip replacement, and a second surgery to address a toe issue that involved a staph infection. He also missed most of the 2020 season to deal with gastrointestinal and blood clotting issues that led to some time in the ICU. So I know we talked to you guys on a Zoom call Wednesday and also brought up the fact that he has this important checkup coming up soon. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, you know, the big thing with, <clears throat> Uh, Frank, Terry Francona and how he's dealt with this was s- sort of centered around timing and that you know, procedures. Um, and he knew that the, the demands and, and the, the rehab that, that would go into it um, would be pretty substantial. So the only way to really be ready for 2022 was to do it when he did it. Um, so, you know, he, he expressed some relief that at least the two procedures are, now in the past, um, and he still has about six weeks left of, of rehab from his toe procedure in which he can't really put foot or he can't put weight on that foot. Um, so, he, so he's still, you know, dealing with that, but the indication is as long as he gets some good news, uh, in a week or two, the expectation is that he will be able, uh, to manage and, and, and to manage how he knows that he needs to be able to do it to where it's, it's a real benefit for the club. Uh, in 2022, um, and you know, that was also something that he said in in July uh, when he was explaining why it was just time for him to step aside. It was also because he, you know, he it reached a point where he felt like maybe, you know, he isn't doing um, to his standards, you know, uh, justice for for his uh, job performance and 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 his his enjoyment of, of the job, his, his ability to do everything that he needs to do. You know, he, he has very high standards, of course. Um, and so he wanted to make sure that he was doing what was best for the, for the team. And he wanted to be able to, uh, you know, possibly be ready to go, uh, for 2022. Um, but he's, he's, you know, he's dealt with qu- quite a few, you know, health issues. Um, this is two years in a row where he's, he hasn't been able to finish the season, which I know is something that, you know, has, has bothered him. Um, and he, and he's not real pleased about that. Um, but the, you know, the, his hope and, and the team's hope is that, um, you know, they've, you know, they, they, they're past some of the, you know, the, the larger obstacles and that, um, you know, as long as he has time to kind of regain his strength, um, that he can come back in 2022 and, and, and manage, um, in the way that, you know, that, uh, that he likes to and that, that he thinks that he, he needs to. And the other big news from yesterday, 
the team parted ways with Ty Van Berkleo. He has been Cleveland's hitting coach since Francona's first season in 2013. Yeah, they mentioned that they'd like to, uh, you know, most likely find uh, another voice to kind of lead the hitting department. Um, they do have Justin Toole uh, and Victor Rodriguez um, as, as you know, uh, uh, voices and, and, and resources there. Um, they may... You know, Chris Antonetti noted that they'll look uh, both in-house and out-of-house uh, for um, uh, for someone to replace Van Berkeley. The thing with um, hitting coaches that that I would like to kind of say is, you know, there, there's a pretty one-sided response on, on social media to this news. And, yeah. You know, it's if if a hitting coach is going to be blamed for a hitter's struggles or a team slumping, then it's fair to say that he also needs to be given credit uh, when a hitter succeeds or, or, or when a team uh, outperforms expectations. Um, you know, guys like Francisco Lindor, um, guys like Jose Ramirez, they absolutely, you know, blossomed at the major league level. Um, is that to say it was just Van Berkeley? No. Um, it's just that if um, – you know, if, if if someone's going to be blamed when the team doesn't hit well for 10 games, well, if the team's offense explodes for the next 10 games, then some credit is due there as well. Um, and then, and that's not just Van Berkeley, oh, that's just in general. That's with any, um, you know, hitting coach, pit, pitching coach, whatever. Um, I think that sometimes that position can kind of be an easy scapegoat because it's easier to replace one person and think that per, perhaps you're um, – addressing the issue like you need as opposed to, you know, trading several guys or whatever. But, um, you know, sometimes uh, some blame has to also accompany some credit uh, for some things when that goes well. But at this time, after, after so many years, you know, the team is, is kind of moving on. Um, That is expected to be the only um, change at the major league level as of right now, uh, assuming that Frank Hona does return and uh, DeMarlo Hill returns to the, to his role as bench coach. Uh, Ryan, how dare you try to offer some nuance in the age of Twitter? Like, what? What is this nuance that you're trying to offer all of us? I know that's not allowed. It's 100% or 0%, nothing in between. I know. Speaking of, have you seen uh, that new update? I think it got released yesterday about the pre-tweet prompts that Twitter is including. So, like, if you're you click on a tweet and it'll say, like, Warning, this discussion may get heat or discussions like these can be heated. And I'm like, has anyone at Twitter used Twitter? Like this morning I saw it on on this news that came out about uh these eighteen former NBA players who have been arrested and charged with federally defrauding the charged federally for defrauding the health and wellness benefit plan. And I clicked on that. It's like that's news. And it was like discussions like these can be heated. Like I mean, Twitter is the land where I think one of my favorite exchanges, I think it was like two years ago, I think it was the Atlanta Falcons announced some roster move or something. Yeah. And somebody replied, like, what's your source? And they're like, literally us, the Falcons. <laughs> I'm choking on my water. Literally us. Like, what is <laughs> happening? Anyways, we'll discuss the pitfalls of Twitter at a later date. Um Moving on, Ryan did a story on Cleveland's off-season checklist. So 
I guess we're going to go through each of these one by one and kind of talk about them a little bit. The first thing on that list for you was club options for Jose Ramirez and Roberto Perez and figuring out what they're going to do about those. Yeah, one is the easiest decision of all time. Oh, um, wonder which one it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Jose Ramirez will be um, a, a very easy choice in terms of in terms of that goes. Um, you know, we can talk about you know, and, and we're going to talk about uh, some other you know facets of of, of his situation uh, with Roberto Perez. Um, you know, a couple years ago in 2019, it looked like uh, that was going to be a pretty easy decision as well, um, but. The last two seasons, I know the numbers are front of me. I think he's played 72 games combined the last two years. Um, and yes, last year was a shortened season, so that doesn't hold quite the weight that it normally would. But you know, still, he's he's had a real tough time staying on the field. And when he's been on the field, he he hasn't really been anywhere close to his offensive levels from 2019. And he has played through injuries, you know, during that time as well. He's just been so banged up that he hasn't really had a chance to show that that 2019 wasn't a mirage. But as of now. You know, that season is clearly his outlier season. And so Cleveland has a decision to make between uh, offering him a $7 million club option or saving uh, about $6.55 million and just giving him the buyout and possibly negotiating a uh, a, a smaller uh, one-year deal. You know, if they decline his option, that doesn't necessarily mean he won't be back. It just means he's not going to be paid that much to remain in, uh, in Cleveland. Um so that, that, that decision did, did become much more difficult the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really hurt his, or help his case that the, you know, the soon to be guardians also have Austin Hedges on the roster, who is also a, an elite defensive catcher, um, who can handle the pitching staff, which is what, you know, this team has put, you know, the most value behind, uh, for quite some time. Um, if, if Perez had been offering the offensive you know, value, uh, which you know, he's not going to light the world on fire, but when you combine it with his defensive abilities, if he can combine that offensive value of 2019, um, he is, it's, it's kind of a, much more of a complete package. But you know, Cleveland hasn't seen that in two years, um, so that's you know that's another decision where they they may be able to uh, to save some money and um, still have a, a you know an elite defensive catching option um, on the roster with with uh, Austin Hedges. Yeah, for me, it seems like deja vu compared to, like, almost a few years ago, right? Like, these discussions just feel very similar to when everyone was wondering what was going to happen to Jan Gomes and are they going to try to keep him and and things like that. And all the discussions were like, well, they do have Roberto Perez, though, and he's pretty good. Like, it just seems like history kind of repeating itself a little bit here. And Perez that spring, after they traded Young Gomes to the Nationals, Perez that spring said that he was going to sh- uh, prove people wrong. And yeah. he, he did a lot of work that offseason on his offensive game and came on 2019 and absolutely succeeded. He, 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 he had 24 home runs, which is more home runs than he hit in his career combined before that. He, he you know, he totally delivered on that promise. It's just that over the last two years, um, he hasn't been able to replicate that when he's been on the, on the field and he's barely been able to, to remain on the field, which has put his, kind of his status um, on, on much uh, shakier ground. And the next point, something we have talked about quite a bit in recent weeks, it feels like, and that's because it is hugely important. It is the 40 man roster crunch that is going to dictate a big chunk of this off season. Yeah. And Cleveland is not the only team to be in, in this spot. Um, but they're, they're certainly, um, pretty severely in it. 
Um, and so one of the things, that, if, if people are wondering why this came about, one of the issues was that in 2020, there was not a full minor league season like there normally would. So teams missed out on a full season of being able to evaluate players. And a lot of minor league players missed out on a full season of, uh, you know, having opportunities to develop and, 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 and progress in their own games. And yes, there were alternate sites, uh, where a lot of teams played sim games. They, they were able, able to, to work out with some guys, but A, that wasn't anywhere close to being able to replicate a full minor league season in terms of development or evaluation. And B, it didn't involve every minor league player. It, it was just certain guys. Um, however, while all of that, you know, is true, uh, minor league players did accrue another year of pro service, which means they're another year closer to being eligible to the Rule 5 draft, which means they're, they're another year closer to needing to be on the 40-man roster, or else they're eligible to be exposed to the 40-man or, or to the Rule 5 draft where they can be selected by another team. And if that team selects that player, uh, that player has to remain on the major league active roster the entire season. Uh, and then after that, they have their normal control um, over that player. So uh, Trevor Steffen, um, the reliever um, who had a, a, a pretty positive season uh, in Cleveland, was a Rule 5 pick from the New York, York Yankees. Uh, the Yankees last year chose not to protect him, and Cleveland was able to kind of steal him um, from their system. And, and, um, for Cleveland entering this offseason, they've got seven or really eight guys, um, who are not on the 40 man roster right now who are certainly of a certain value level, um, of, of needing to be protected because you, you would never just want to lose that kind of value for, for nothing in return. Um, guys like Tyler Freeman, uh, the top prospect, um, and, and I think it's like six or seven of the top 22 or so top-ranked prospects, according to MLB Pipeline, are currently unprotected. That's a lot of 40-man roster spots to try to um, to try to kind of cram all of those guys in. So this could affect um, roster decisions at the major league level. This could affect uh, the trade market for sure. Um, Cleveland's been on the other side of this too. They, uh, Cleveland made a trade with Tampa Bay a few years ago where the Rays were, were going to run into this issue. And so they decided to try to get something in return, even though the value is not equal, they're trying to get something in return for it while they can, instead of just letting another team, you know, potentially draft them. Um, it is true that a lot of teams are in this position. So, you know, it depends how many guys would be able to be taken, but uh, you know, there are certain prospects that you just wouldn't want to uh, leave exposed to the rule five draft. Uh, and uh, Cleveland's got, got several of them. Yeah. So it, it, it could lead to, uh, you know, kind of a, a you could look at it as a, a consolidation of resources. Um, if, you know, Cleveland tried to address some major league, uh, you know, roster needs um, through this because they don't want to lose guys. Um, and this is also the situation that led um, uh, to the mile, the uh, mile straw trade um, where, you know, Cleveland w- – was able to build a package around, um, you know, some guys that they didn't feel would be in their, in their long-term plans because of this or partially because of this. And so that kind of led to, or that helped to lead to Miles Straw. Um, so that's, this is something that's going to really kind of dictate a lot of different things, uh, with how Cleveland op- uh, operates this winter, uh, cause there are just too many spots. So every 40 minute roster spot right now is at a true premium. And moving on, the next step is figuring out the outfield. Which has been kind of their, 
constant need. I was going to say, that's the constant conversation always being had. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Miles Straw was potentially a, a big step forward because center field especially has kind of been that trouble spot. And, you know, and go, again, going back to a positive 2019 that hasn't been able to be replicated, Oscar Mercado looked like he was going to grab hold um, of that spot in center field. He had 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases. He handled the number two spot in the lineup really well as a rookie. And since then, he just hasn't been able to replicate that. Um, so that was a, a, a major kind of, you know, reasoning behind the Miles Straw trade where, you know, Cleveland hopes that Straw can be that staple in center field, um, a, a, pl- a plus defensive center fielder, uh, a guy who can run. He hit really well after being traded. I, I, I don't know if that's going to be able to be expected moving forward, um, to where he, to the level that he hit. Um, but he's, you know, a, a solid center fielder that they hope can kind of stabilize that position. Now you've got left field and right field to figure out. Um, Eddie Rosario was the hope that could have solved left field in 2021. And, and that's, that just never really panned out. Josh Naylor seemed to turn a, a corner, uh, and, and, and find a rhythm before he had a, a just that gruesome ankle injury, um, that required pretty extensive surgery. Cleveland still does not have a timeline on his return. Um, you know, that surgery was months ago, but it was just so extensive that they still don't know when he might be able to return. Uh, his opening day status at least is in serious jeopardy. Um, so it's unclear when he can be counted on to kind of hold down one of those spots. Uh, Franmil Reyes did play 11 games in right field, but that remains to be seen how comfortable the team would be with him, um, in a much you know, more expanded role in, in 2022. So you're left with um, a lot of unknowns uh, with with the corner outfield spots, and that might be one of the key spots uh, that Cleveland could or you know probably needs to target um, either in a trade uh, potentially or on the free agent market. And you know, and, and one thing to note is uh, Chris Antonetti when he met with reporters on you know that'd be Wednesday, October sixth. When he met with reporters, he did say that you know the team feels like the payroll, which has been dropping for the last several years, pretty substantially. Uh, you know, he mentioned that, you know, they, they feel that the payroll has, and their financial situation has stabilized a little bit, or now they feel like they might be able to, to grow. Um, now, if that means, or how much that means um, growing the payroll with, with players who are not within the organization right now, that remains um, to be seen. You know, that could mean extensions, uh, for guys that they'd like to lock up, um, who are currently on the roster. And it, 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 it just remains to be seen how much that can mean in terms of the free agent market. Um, but the, the indication is that, you know, this team will be able to add a little bit and, and left field and right field could be one of those, those primary targets. Next on the checklist was deciding how to use Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. Yeah. And, Ahmed Rosario is probably kind of the, the, the first key to that uh, in what could be a, a somewhat of a domino effect where he had a really nice offensive season, um, you know, kind of exactly what Cleveland would have hoped for. Uh, defensively, uh, he's not the best defensive shortstop, um, and he's definitely not the best defensive shortstop on this major league roster right now. Um, so he uh, potentially could be moved to the outfield as he was for opening day this past year. He was put in center field again, it was another case of Cleveland trying to resolve, you know, that center field issue along with wanting Andreas Jimenez uh, to be able to handle shortstop. Um, and 
from that Francisco Lindor trade, Jimenez is the hopeful long-term centerpiece from that deal. The, their hope is that he can kind of lock down uh, shortstop. And so Rosario was placed in center field. That didn't go really well. Once Rosario went back to shortstop, he took off offensively. But in terms of how they want to use him moving forward, with all the middle infielders that they have at, at their disposal already, with how they want to handle shortstop, second base, uh, needs in the corner outfield, uh, Rosario could certainly potentially be moved uh, to the outfield again, which would slide Jimenez to shortstop. And then you have options with second base. Um, you could put, you know, it's still, it's always possible that Ramirez – uh, could move across the diamond to second, which would open third base, potentially for Nolan Jones, who did have a, a very down 2021 season, but remains one of the team's top prospects. So there's a lot of flexibility there, and, and it's, it's almost like one of those, you remember those like slide puzzles with like the car, you had to get the one car out of the parking lot, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind well, of like one of those where... It was called Rush Hour, and okay. I have blocked out all memories of playing it for a reason as someone who... Does not have the patience for that. Uh huh. It, it, right, right, right. So, it, it, but it's sort of like that where if Rosario moves here, uh, that that allows Jimenez to move over here. That allows Ramirez to potentially do this. That allows this prospect to potentially move here. Blah blah blah. Um, but Ahmed Rosario is kind of the key with with how they you know plan to use him, and and you know, there are some uh, you know, quite a few options there. Um, and that's that's kind of one of the keys to figure out how how to kind of operate and how to project the, you know, the opening day rosters, how is Med Rosario used? And if he's still in Cleveland, you know, they, they could also, you know, certainly use him as, as, as some trade bait um, for a player coming off a, a really nice offensive year. And you know, he could definitely be um, used to kind of um, uh, address roster needs uh, elsewhere. Can you see that? I can. Yeah. It's the rush <laughs> exactly. hour game. Uh, that the trucks, I hate these trucks so much. I hate them. Literally a nightmare. Anyways, thank you, Ryan, for unlocking that core childhood memory. All right. uh, Ryan teased this early on, but another Jose Ramirez point here. You had, and we've again talked about this multiple times, so really not new information. Uh, but explore any trade offers the team might get for Jose Ramirez and still probably say no. It's a somewhat similar situation with Francisco Lindor, but it's definitely not uh, to the same level. They, they're definitely different. They have different facets to these situations for sure. Um, but you have a team that is – uh, not only wanting to, but needing to, you know, constantly evaluate where they stand several years down the road and, and how they're trying to set up the future while also trying to contend today. Um, and, 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 you know, this team showed it at, at the trade deadline. You know, there weren't many, many players on the major league roster, you know, on July you know, 28th, 29th, 30th. There weren't many guys on the roster who weren't under club control for at least you know, two or three, four or five seasons. But the, several of the guys who were under shorter term control were all traded for, for guys who, uh, can remain in Cleveland for, for, you know, the foreseeable future. Um, and, you know, that's how this team has operated. So any player with shorter term control is potentially on the trade block. And, you know, Chris Antonetti has, has, he's indicated before that, this team will always be open to at least answering the phone on pretty much any player in the organization. 
obviously the the asking prices can be sky high, but it doesn't mean that they're just going to you know, automatically close the door on on any idea, and that that includes Jose Ramirez possibly being traded. Uh, he has club options for this season and next season, so 2022 and 2023. They're kind of laughably under market value for how good he is. I mean, he, he's one of the best values in all of baseball still. Um, but if if any team were to to get kind of desperate and offer Cleveland a a you know, a package of controllable talent. Um, that is just so overwhelmingly valuable that they can't say no. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's always going to be possible that they, that, that they do pull the trigger on a deal like that. That being said, again, the asking price for Jose, it would take an absolute haul of talent to pry Jose Ramirez out of Cleveland. Um, it's just getting the kind of the idea across that this team always has to at least be open to answering the phone and at least open to exploring every possible avenue because you know, each franchise has a finite amount of resources with which to build a team and to build a farm system. So when you don't have a $200 million payroll or a $160 million payroll, you, know, you have to always be open to really every possible way to find value. Um, so it does not mean that Jose Ramirez will be traded, um, but he could be one of the, you know, the larger tar- targets. There could be a lot of phone calls and text messages and emails and WhatsApp messages, whatever, um, this winter between you know, different teams, and um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that uh, you know he's on the trading block and, and looking to be dealt. But it also means that you know they, they may have to explore every avenue, and Jose Ramirez could be a target. Teams using WhatsApp to discuss these things—the <laughs> thought of it is funny to me. <laughs> well, it just went down the other day. WhatsApp was one of the yeah. social media platforms that went down, and for a lot of people, yeah. I think overseas they use it. You know, a lot of yeah. people overseas really count on that. Um, yeah. So that's a big deal. Because that's a part of Facebook. So it was Facebook, Instagram, and that. And uh, you know what didn't go down? Twitter. Because love-hate relationship. Even though we made fun of it before, I always love running to Twitter to check if it's just my Instagram or everyone's Instagram that is acting up. Um, okay, whatever. On to the next point, the final point that you had in the off-season checklist story. It is plan out the bullpen for 2022. Yeah, and there's some interesting situations um, with with this pitching staff and guys potentially moving from the rotation to the bullpen, guys being out of options. Um, the Anthony Ghost situation is kind of fascinating as a player who made this really improbable run back to the major leagues after transitioning from the outfield to the mound. Um, but not only that um, – in every appearance that that he was able to make before the season ended, uh, he looked really good. Um, I, I I think he probably did enough to to kind of, kind of carve his spot into the 2022 bullpen. I, I don't know how you can deny him a spot, um, but he's one of several guys who are out of options. Uh, you know, Sam Hentges is a guy who could also uh, definitely be kind of destined for a bullpen role. And after he was moved into uh, the bullpen this season, you know, he, you did see some more aggressiveness from him. He's able to focus on his main offerings of, you know, his, his three pitch mix. Uh, and he found some su- uh, success with that. Um, and so there, there, there are actually quite a few lefties. Um, this could be a, a lefty, a heavier lefty bullpen, uh, than normal, uh, just with the construction of, you know, who was available and, and, and not wanting to lose guys again not wanting to lose guys for nothing if they're out of options and would have to be exposed to waivers. Um, and again, there are a few guys who 
will be out of options, and that you know that cuts down on, on flexibility with the 40-man roster, and sometimes that helps guys make the opening day roster. Sometimes that hurts guys. Um, uh, but you know, obviously there are some easy decisions with Emmanuel Clause, uh, James Karinczak, you know, who was working in AAA. He'll he'll be able to work all offseason and uh, in AAA, but you know, those guys will you know should have spots. Um, and then you have some uh, pretty interesting cases, you know, like like Ghost, like Hentges, um, uh, Nick Sandlin should be able to, uh, to return uh, from his injury, and he, he he certainly had some some positive flashes as well. Um, so the, the the composition of the bullpen is is going to be one of those things that you know pro- might not be able to be sorted out until late spring training. Uh, but there there are some different cases there, and um, in in you know, they they certainly hit on Brian Shaw, who had a, a really nice season. He appeared in half of the team's games, um, which is just something that just – it's very rare for a, relie- for a reliever to be able to do that and to pitch, you know, in, in, in the high, the amount of high-leverage situations that he does as well while doing that. You know, there, there really is some value that beyond his ERA and his FIP and his WHIP in being able um, to afford the bullpen some, just some more flexibility with how often he can pitch. Um, but you know he is a free agent, so it, it, it remains to be seen if, if if he'll be back. But you know, as as it kind of always is, but this year maybe to or this upcoming spring maybe to a, a little bit of, more of a degree. Uh, there's a lot to sort out with the bullpen. All right, we've made it through the off season checklist. Um, this podcast is getting ready to go into its off season. Uh, we don't know when we're going to record next. We did want to do this sort of season wrap up, which we did successfully, but it's crazy. I just looked at our Google doc, which we've used the same one for every episode. And we started this podcast like just over six months ago was our first episode together. And we managed, I managed not to bully you off of it, which is (laughs) good for you. Good for Ryan. Everyone give him a round of applause. (laughs) And six months. It's it's crazy. Thanks for everyone who has tuned in and, kind of followed along with six months. We, we appreciate y'all. Yeah. Um, but since we don't know when we're going to record again, it is time for a final pop culture corner of the season. Ryan, what are you watching? Okay. So I'm going to repeat this from previous episodes. I would highly recommend only murders in the building. It's a, it's just such a fun, great show. Um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of it. Steve Martin, Martin short, Selena Gomez. It's so good. Um, big fan. Uh, but we also, we, we started watching Squid Game. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. It looks like it might be kind of scary and I'm a chicken. It's, it's more intense than I was expecting. Yeah. It's funny because all of like my TikTok for you page is all about Squid Game and I hate, like, this is, this is always what happens. I hate not being in the know of like, a big conversation and I'm on the outside of it. And granted I did successfully manage to avoid game of Thrones for a really long time, just because I was not interested in, but this looks like I could potentially be interested in it. I just like need the coaxing a little bit. Maybe if if I have to watch the Sopranos, you need to watch game of Thrones. No. Oh my gosh. No, Ryan, those are two totally different shows. Are you upset because you're getting the better end of the deal because Game of Thrones is the better show? Which I can't say because I haven't seen Sopranos, but I'm just trash talking. Exactly. It's not the better show, though. The Sopranos is like, without the Sopranos, you wouldn't even have Game of Thrones. I'm looking 
like right now in my office, I'm looking at a ghost Funko Pop, and fans of Game of Thrones will know exactly what that means. Isn't that the dog? Okay, it's a direwolf. First off, get it right. It's not just a dog. It's a dog. It it's sounds not. like. <laughs> um, but yeah, Squid Game is it's it's pretty intense. It's. But yeah, like you said, there were memes everywhere about it, and it was being integrated into everything, so I felt like you almost have to watch it. Oh, that's fair. Maybe I will. That was my ice machine. Could you hear that? Yeah, I could. (laughs) So loud. How rude of that. Okay, whatever. That was my ice machine. Anyways, um, what I'm watching is I did watch the Sopranos movie, The Many Saints of Newark. Um... It was a movie. I, <laughs> I think it meets the technical definition of a movie. Um, and listen, there were some people in it that were really good. I really enjoyed Michael Gandolfini, who, if you haven't watched The Sopranos or don't know much about it, he is James Gandolfini's real life son. James Gandolfini died, I want to say, around 2013-ish. Um, he had a heart attack. And died in like his early fifties. So very sad. But his son is playing a younger version of the Tony Soprano character. He was like a pleasant surprise because he's not really an actor. And I thought he did a really good job. Where things went off the rails a little bit is in some of the other choices that were made by actors playing younger versions of characters that we know and love from the show. And it got a little uh, fan fiction-y almost, which, again, is, like, kind of wild because the the guy who directed it directed a ton of these episodes. David Chase, uh, who's the creator of the series, also did this movie. Like, it, it just felt like actors imitating these characters in kind of a cartoonish way in some instances. Some people pulled it off more successfully than others. Um and like I said, Michael Gandolfini was one of those people who I thought did pull it off. But it also just like if you're a fan of The Sopranos, it didn't feel like a Sopranos episode. And I think like a big part of that is given the time that it's taking place. in. like The Sopranos always felt like even now, obviously, it was made in the late 90s, early 2000s or to, to the mid aughts, whatever. Um, so in some ways, it's kind of like a time capsule. In other ways, it feels like distinctly modern when you're comparing it to like the other classic, you think, uh, pieces of media that involve the mafia, like The Godfather, like Goodfellas even. Um, it just feels different. And this felt more, since it's taking place in the 60s and 70s, it didn't really have that feeling, I guess. So... I and and some of the plot is just confusing. Like there's a whole plot with Leslie Odom Jr. where I still it's been a few days and I'm like, I don't understand why Leslie Odom Jr. was in this movie. I don't get what this character was doing. Like it had nothing to do with anything else that was happening. Um but the final thing I will say is the ending did give me chills. The ending was phenomenal. Um I did enjoy that. But that's kind of like my take. Um I'm also enjoying Murders, Only Murders in the Building. I haven't watched the newest episode yet all the way through, but uh, very, very good show. Like, that has to win some Emmys next year. It's so great. It just it just feels light. Um, it has this, like, positive light feel to it, I think, and it's, just, it's tremendous. I, one, <laughs> we, don't, 
like they say in My Favorite Murder, we don't think murder is funny. We just think they are funny. Correct. <laughs> exactly. As we understood. Um, the, the one thing on The Sopranos, um, I was reading that it was it was really difficult for Michael Gandolfini to study the character that he needed to because it was difficult to separate him trying to pick out the mannerisms that he needed from just watching his dad. Yeah. Um, which was a it, that's a a really kind of interesting angle, I guess, when, where he's trying to study for a role, but he can't just not see his dad. Yeah. And uh, I know George Thomas wrote some good stories on uh, one of the actors is actually from the greater Akron area from Monroe Falls, the actor who plays uh, Silvio Dante in the movie, if you have seen it. Um, and also I think he had like a review of the movie itself or a uh, story about it. So you can go check that out. If you're a huge Sopranos nut like me, uh, go read what George wrote on it. Uh, other than that, I feel like I'm behind on like all my week to week shows and like I watch too many of them, but I'm also rewatching succession now because the new season premieres on the 24th this month. Yeah. We're going to get behind with some stuff. Cause now like survivors back on, which is oh, a gosh, not survivor, a staple. I, excuse me. I've never watched Survivor. No Survivor, no Game of Thrones. That's no. That's sad. I only watch good things, Ryan. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Them's fighting words. Listen, we can't all be elitists, right? Like <laughs> there has to be you have to be the you can be the middleman. It's okay. You're the everyman. Survivor's so good. Jeff Probst forever. Is it? Is it really so good? Will I get hate for this from other Survivor nuts on Twitter? Maybe. There are several people on the Cleveland baseball beat who are not going to be too happy with this take. I can tell you that. Well, I don't care because I I won't will not be watching it now or ever. Unbelievable. Have you watched Succession? You did not respond to that. No, we, that's that's one that we've not got. that. I can yell at you about that all day. What does she say in Game of Thrones? Shame. Shame. You No, no. You have to watch it to use the reference. No. Um, well, I love... Uh, oh, my gosh. Why am I blanking on her name? The actress. She's in Ted Lasso, too. Who does... Who yells the shame. Hannah Waddington. Mm. That's the shame lady. That's the show that, that we... Re- like, Ted Lasso is probably number one on the list of shows that we need to watch that we haven't yet. Yeah. You have to uh have I haven't to seen a negative word about the show yet. Yeah, it's so good. You have to watch it. You must watch. Oh, all right, folks. Well There's now. What? There's extra time now. Yeah, we're in the off season officially. Winter it's- Winter is coming. Game of Thrones reference. Ding. Nerd alert. Oh, Just I, kidding. Wish I, had a bell. I need a bell. Isn't that what the shame lady said has the bell? I know. Yeah, yeah, that would work. What a fun time. Um, anyways, Cleveland baseball is in the offseason. They will be the Guardians when, whenever this podcast returns. And uh, you can find all of Ryan's offseason work uh, over at BeaconJournal.com. Obviously, check out that Cleveland Guardians tab. Um, and follow him on Twitter at ByRyanLewis. You can find me on Twitter at AshleyBastock42. Um, be sure we are, we're getting ready to close out the high school football regular season. Check out our 
Beacon Blitz podcast. We record that on Friday night. It is available on the Beacon Journal website on Saturday. Be sure to check that out as well. Um, and until next time, catch me not watching Game of Thrones and Ryan being very salty about it. You're allowed to make mistakes. Uh <laughs> <laughs>